the misfit toys are attending the birth of Rudolph in our house. I love it. <laughs> I'm Anne McNamee Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. Before we start, a reminder that we love to hear from you, our listeners, and we are especially right now looking for funny Catholic stories. Mm -hmm. I was thinking particularly funny things that happen like at mass or around the church, but it could also be in Catholic school or CCD or whatever your funny Catholic story is. Um, send us your stories or just send us your comments. You can find us on social media at Laps Podcast, lapspodcast.com. You can email us lapspodcast at gmail.com and you can call us at 505-6-LAPSED. Great. I don't think it has to be like an epic story. It can be a small anecdote. It can be a very small anecdote. And just a, a warning that the voicemail might cut you off. So if you need to call Great. back to finish your story, do it. We want to hear short stories, long stories. We want to hear all of them. All the stories. Please. All right, Anne, what are we talking about today? Today, in honor of the season of Advent and Christmas, uh, we are talking about nativities. Yay. My question was, what's the deal with nativities? And I I find out. I found out a little bit. (laughs) I'm excited. I actually had a conversation with somebody who's a Presbyterian pastor around here. Oh, he wanted to meet with me because he wanted to put on a Christmas pageant and I'm a theater. I'm one of, I'm the known theater person in town. Theater person in the town. And he was like, well, what is a Christmas pageant? I'm like, I think it's just acting out the nativity. <laughs> so we'd have a long conversation about it. So anyway, we'll get into that later. But Ooh. Yeah. 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 Good. You have recent pertinent stories about yeah nativity things. Right. We're all thinking well, about nativity. A little. It's an anecdote. A we'll go back. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Steph, do you have any Catholicism in the news before we start? I have like a lot for some reason. Oh, okay, so great. I will try to keep it crisp and clean. I don't know if you have a lot. Or have it be messy and confusing. It's fine. It's the I'm Catholic Church. That. Okay, do you want good news, bad news, or in-between <laughs> news first? Oh, oh, man. I'll take the good news first. Okay. <laughs> this came up. Um, there is a nun who won The Voice in Italy. Ooh, go sister. Yeah, she won for singing Alicia Keys' No One. And uh, The Guardian has reported that she's now a waitress. So she left. Sister Christina Scuccia from Sicily. She shocked judges during her blind audition for the show, giving a rapturous performance of the Alicia Keys hit song, No One. Oh, man. Yeah. So the thing that I loved about it, well, A, like she's talked about how this, she's not moving away from her faith. She had to talk to a psychologist and now she's a waitress pursuing her musical career. So good, good on her. her. But she did produce an album that she gave to Pope Francis. And I didn't hear everything that was on the album, but there's one song that they do report on as being in the album, on the album. And uh, I just need you to guess what that might be. Um, I wanted to be like, my guy, like the My God version from Sister Act. Oh, that would be really good. It is Madonna's Like a Virgin. Oh my gosh. For real? For real. It's on the album she gave to Pope Francis. She, oh, man. 
That's gutsy. I know. Good for her. She's got moxie, this nun. Yeah, she's very good pursuing her dreams. We're very happy for her. So, yeah, that's the good news in Catholic. That is good Catholic news. A nun is no longer a nun. We love it. Right? That's not the part we, I mean, all of it is just good for good for her. I was just surprised that she was on the show to begin with, I guess. Mm-hmm. Don't know how the, the nun thing works all the time but i'm just like oh wow she got permission to go i'm guessing she has to get permission and i assume yeah different i guess she's not like cloistered maybe they thought it would be good pr for the nuns and like the church right and maybe things are different in that order or in italy or on the voice in italy i don't know how it all works but um in scandalous news oh okay i'm ready okay have you heard of cardinal angelo q B-E-C-C-I-E-I-U. I don't know how to pronounce it. But you? I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that either. He's on trial, facing financial mismanagement and corruption. Oh, my. Right? So this has been going on for a while. But the reason it's recent news is that he was just caught having recorded a conversation that he had with Pope Francis. Okay. I'm still trying to understand. So he... He called Pope Francis and very, uh, like some American politicians that you, this may remind you of, would like wanted Francis to like figure out a way that he could like get him out of the trouble that he was in. Mm, I see. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the scandal part, which I did not know, is that you can't record conversations with the Pope. Oh, you can't? So there are voices of his niece and an unidentified man can be heard listening in on the conversation. Prosecutors against this cardinal claim that their presence on the phone call violates Vatican secrecy laws. Mm. And they don't say anything more about that. So I don't know what the Vatican secrecy laws are. I find that part the most fascinating of the story. Vatican secrecy laws. I think you have like a mistress. It's a whole to do. Mm -hmm. There you go. Disgraced cardinals. Not surprised. And, okay, more news. Yes. This, I don't know if you saw this but um nate uh from the black catholic messenger who we have williams friend of the pod friend of the pod he soon to be father nate right is he father nate yet no i don't think so i don't know how not in not as of this writing he's just nate tenner williams on his byline got it and that's on december 4th okay so he interviewed father chris kellerman who's coming out with a book called all oppression shall cease and it covers Catholic slavery and abolitionism. Ooh. The article is so good. Can't recommend the book yet because I haven't read it. He's a Jesuit priest. And, you know, we talk about how much we like those Jesuits. But he talks specifically about how the Jesuits were involved in the slave trade historically. They sure were. Um, and how he's trying to reconcile all these feelings as he learns more and about what the church new and covered up and the amount of times they had a chance to condemn slavery in the slave trade. It's a fascinating read. Of course, it's not news in that this isn't happening only right now, but this book is coming out. So that's the Mm -hmm. news part of it. Yeah, He makes this really good point towards the end of the article about how a lot of people don't want to talk about reparations because it seems new and radical and quote unquote, woke and all of this stuff. But there are conversations about reparations coming from people in the Catholic Church 
um, as early as the 1600s, mm. which I thought was interesting. Like right away, they're like, we need to make up for this. This is no good. And so it's been a conversation for a very long time. Interesting. Yeah. So as a lapsed person too, because the conversation, Nate asks some great questions in it, but a lot of it is like, well, how do you continue to be a Catholic or how do you come to terms with it? Yeah. And his basic answer is like, I haven't come to terms with this. And I always find people who are having that struggle and staying with the church to be people I find fascinating and want to talk to more because I don't know how to do that or how people do that. So no. I think if you are Catholic and you listen to this podcast, you should definitely read this article mm-hmm. and lapsed too. But um, I think it's very important for people who are staying within the church to have this conversation. That's great. Well, I can't wait to read the article and I will link it in the comments and yeah, maybe I'll read the book. That's my heft of news for you. That's some good news. I mean, not good news, but you know, it's some, <laughs> some solid, some solid Catholicism in the news. You got it. Uh, da, 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 da. I have one quick thing and then a little bit bigger thing. Um, So the quick thing is that right before Thanksgiving, there was just some funny stuff going on mostly on social media around Chicago because um, Mexico played Poland in the World Cup. And it was like, oh, man, the Catholics in Chicago are losing their minds. People called it the Battle Battle of Archer Avenue, which is (laughs) a lot of Catholics. Uh, a lot of Polish and Mexican folks, a lot of parishes. There was a lot of parish versus parish. The Catholics, I was not in Chicago. We were out of town for the game, but it sounds like the bars were full of Catholics mostly. That's right. <laughs> the Mexican and Polish Catholics just losing their minds. I don't even know. I think, was it like a tie? And then maybe Mexico won the second game or something, but uh, I could be wrong. Someone's going to correct me. I'm not a, I'm not this a sports world person, but, but it was an exciting time for Catholics in Chicago and for, you know, for the Polish Mexican Catholics in Chicago, of which there are more than yep. a few. Uh, mm-hmm. I imagine it must have been a fraught time. It's very hard to know what to do. You know. And so the other thing is, did you see stuff? America Magazine. Uh-oh. No. Sent five folks i believe to interview pope francis they had an extensive interview with him recently oh what'd he say (laughs) it was so this is october 22nd five representatives uh interviewed pope francis at his residence at santa marta at the vatican in general i found that there were lots of really good hard-hitting questions that about around things that i was interested in and mostly disappointing answers or just answers that didn't leave me super excited. There was a question about like the Bishop's conference, like they say this and this, you know, like the Bishop conference has strong opinions. They're mostly pretty conservative. I mean, he did say like Jesus didn't create Bishop conferences, which I appreciate. And he (laughs) talked more about like that the Bishop should be, it's like, not that it's not important for bishops to meet together, but that really like the bishops should be, most focused on their own community that they uh-huh. pastor to, which I appreciated that. There you go. Um, so that one was okay. There's a question like about the child sex abuse in the church. And yeah, it sounds over and over as though he is trying to downplay it and then saying like, not that I'm downplaying it, hmm. but that seems to be what he's doing. Like here, I have a quote. So he says, some history. Until the Boston crisis, when everything was uncovered, as though no one knew anything was going on before Mm -hmm. then, 
It's their fault for uncovering it. Right. The church acted by moving an abuser from his place, covering up as often happens in families today. Uh, so already he's like, just like families do. You know, everyone does it. Like, it's a problem, but like everyone's doing it. Um, he says the problem of sexual abuse is extremely serious in society. Yeah, no kidding. We know. When I held the meeting of the presidents of the bishops' conferences three and a half years ago, I asked for official statistics, and I learned that 42% to 46% of abuses occur in family home or in the neighborhood. After that in prevalence comes the world of sport, then of education, and 3% of abusers are Catholic priests. It, could, shouldn't, it should be 0%. Right. And it's interesting how you're using, like, he's talking about all people in the entire world i mean what are these statistics this is like yeah what are these statistics he's pulling from and he's not looking at catholics he's not looking at where you right like this right he's that's a really uh interesting way to use statistics right here right so then he's like no no no. one could say that is good we are few but no if there'd only been one case it would be monstrous yeah no kidding we all are thinking that the abuse of minors is one of the most monstrous things like again we he keeps saying it's so bad like we're all agreeing with you that it's so bad but like we're Mm -hmm. asking about what's the deal with the cover-ups um he says the practice which is still maintained in some families and institutions today was to cover it up the church made the decision not to cover it up anymore from there progress was made in judicial processes the creation of the pontifical commission for protection of minors but like they're still they're still hiring lawyers now and like Money is going from the Catholic Church to yeah. settlements, and what are they? What have they really done? He also at one point is like, literally says like pagans sexually abused children, used to sexually abuse children. Okay, yeah, in every institution there's been abuse. That doesn't mean you're off the hook. No, and you're not off the hook for cover. Like he's sort of like it was covered up. Just you know, everyone does that. I don't. It feels very. Yeah. He's, he seems to be saying things to cover his tracks like, oh, it's horrible. And of course, that doesn't it's not to downplay it, but it is to downplay it. It feels that way. Abortion. He says he basically says that, like, a fetus is a human life. And he does the thing of like, you need to be pastoral about it. But he's very like abortion is wrong, which I guess. What else would you expect? Yeah. Other than saying using the term pastoral a lot, I still don't see any understanding of like the the complexity of the issue and Mm -hmm. the autonomy of the woman he does talk about racism in the catholic church i get it was interesting reading this given like our guests that we've had because like the one about racism and the catholic church and black catholics and black catholics feeling like they're not being seen i was like oh i want to know like what nate's gonna say about this yeah similarly around women's ordination I was like, I really want to know what Father Anne is thinking about this mm-hmm. because uh, his in, his answer was very disappointing. I'm actually going to pull up Women's Ordination on Instagram, Women's Ordination Conference, because they did a good explainer of what the heck he's t- he talks about. So he kept referencing women's ordination is a theological problem rooted in the Petrine and Marian principles. Tell me more. Do you know what that is? No, I like the word Marian, but I don't know. So on their Instagram, they do a great explainer, women's ordination on Instagram. I recommend folks check it out. Uh, so it says the Pope is referencing a concept. It was popularized by Swiss theologian Hans Erv von Balthasar, who was, I mean, only died in 1988. So I guess it's kind of recent, but it's like this one, right? It's this one guy. This is a pretty recent yeah. <laughs> theological theory. So the idea is that the church has two natures. One is 
the example of Peter called the lead the church. And one is based on the example of Mary as the spouse of God. Okay. So this is all the like complementarianism. Like, well, men and women both have their roles and men's role is to lead. And woman is the spouse of God and is the ch- the church is female. Like the, the idea of the church is female. And then the leaders are male. Don't you love how we get to be churches and boats, but <laughs> not leaders? Yeah. So they say like in this thinking, the priest acts sort of as Christ, but it's like, okay, so they have to have the same genitals as Jesus. Like did, who said that though? Is that in the Bible? That only people with, it's not. And also if the, if men are the leaders and then the church is female, then why are there men in the church? Should it just be that there's no men in the church? If the church is female, like you're saying a man's role is this and the woman's role is the church itself. It's like, so why are men allowed to be baptized into the church? Shouldn't they all be female and Marian and the spouse of God? That's a good point. It doesn't hold any water. And so he just like kind of waxes poetic on some like nerdy theological. I mean, does the thing that that is so obnoxious in any situation where someone takes something that is like actual oppression of a group of people. Right. And it's a person who's outside that oppressed group and they just use it as like a fun thought experiment. Right. Yeah. Which like, how often do we see that happen when it comes to gender, when it comes to race, when it comes to many things like, well, one could argue it's like, okay, no, but we're talking about like actual, but for real though, <laughs> but for actual though, for real, <sighs> I was excited about the interview because I felt like they asked some very good questions and they asked them pretty directly. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Um, the answers feel, to be honest, lacking, disappointingly kind of convoluted. And I was disappointed. I was looking for some good like zingers. Mm. There is, oh, there's something about socialism that is, they're like, some people accuse you of being a socialist. Do you think Jesus was a socialist? And he's kind of like, well, socialists took some Christian ideas. Like he doesn't, it's, that piece is kind of interesting. He doesn't shy away from that part. Yeah. He doesn't shy away from the like a little bit anti-capitalism because he's anti-poverty. So Mm -hmm. I will give him that. That's kind of toward the end of the interview. I think it's worth a read. It's interesting. Does he say Uh, anything poetical the way he speaks? Sometimes (laughs) it gets me all excited. (laughs) He, it's, yeah, a lot of it is very poetic. And like even the Marian theology stuff is poetic. He's good at, you know, but when it's like, okay, but now like rubber hits the road and let's actually like make some change. Wow. Okay. There's a lot going on. And, you know, we don't talk for two weeks and everyone gets interviewed. There's a lot happening. It's worth reading. Is there more news? No, that's that's all my news. That's a big Are one. we ready? Let's talk about some nativities. Let's talk about nativities. I've got someone to play baby Jesus right here. There we go. We got our baby Jesus. So Steph. Yeah. Tell me about your nativity experience, if you have any. Did you have a nativity in your house growing up? Yes. I just remember the one we had. It's, it's, my parents still have it. Carved from wood, and it was just like, it's kind of, I remember being like crudely carved. Like you could see the places where the, I don't know what that tool is, but if you could see me demonstrating it. It was um, like whittled. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like getting to put the pieces out was a big deal. Um, who got to put mm. what pieces where. Uh, it's almost as big a deal as like getting to put the angel on top of our tree. 
they were an angel on top of the tree family, not yeah, a star so family. We. So were we. But I, I do remember this. It should have been very clear that I was going to go into theater, I suppose, because I was always restaging it. <laughs> I was just like, I need, I need more levels. I need more contrast of where people are standing. Everyone's on the same plane here. So I was adding depth and moving the creatures around because there was always like a cow, a sheep. Yeah, like, I mean, you're like lighting it correctly and you know joseph's hiding <laughs> in the back again uh <laughs> i need everyone to be seen that is so joseph never gets any credit oh, just kind of back there taking care of everything right just uh, watching and waiting i remember that and the jesus you're, you're supposed to wait to put jesus out but we never did yeah. i remember learning about that in somebody else's house they're like you have your jesus out already and i was like yeah like you're not supposed to put them out till christmas eve i learned that later too i feel like i didn't learn that till like an adult or Mm -hmm. something and then there was always you know every church would put up their nativity in the lawn yeah i remember one time i can't remember i was like in elementary school so maybe we were in michigan um wanting really badly to like get in it I was like, I should, I want to, I want to get, I want to be in there. Um, and I got in trouble for that. It was the budding actor in you. Actually, I need to be, to be in there in now. the scene. But I never got to be in one, like a nativity. Like a pageant? Yeah, a pageant. Exactly. Did your churches do that? Because mine didn't. I didn't really have them. No, but. No, I don't know that Catholics do that other than. Is it not a Catholic thing? I know it's a thing in Mexico and maybe Puerto Rico, I think. So like, I feel like maybe I think parishes in Mexico and like even parishes around Chicago with a bigger, like mostly Mexican population, Mexican American do them. But I don't think like white Catholics do pageants. I don't think so. The word pageant just seems so English. Yeah. And I like read about them in books. I saw them on TV, but it was never a thing that we did. Is it a Church of England thing? Maybe. Maybe it's like an Anglican. I also want people to reach out. Tell us, did you do a pageant at your Catholic church? And if so, tell us more. You know, I, when I later found people got to like play Mary and no, never ever got to do any of that. Yeah. No. I remember, yeah, reading about it or seeing it on in Christmas movies. And then the church we go to here on Christmas Eve... When the gifts are brought down for communion, we mm-hmm. often on Christmas Eve, one of my cousins or something, they got to bring be the people that brought that down. And for a while, my cousins Carly and Maddie, because he, uh, their dad was the uncle who uh, we lost to a steel mill accident when they mm-hmm. were really young, so they were always picked to bring down the G- the baby Jesus uh, on Christmas no. Eve mass. So they that was their special honor and i remember them always placing it there and the, the, the priest at that church okay so the town that we go to church in nearby it's called it's feral is the name of the church and so he'd always say and on this day a baby was born in feral like not jerusalem not You're like but he wasn't though but he, like actually. jesus was born in feral so that was our family joke about how holy our little town was funny other than that nativities i know that we've already debunked some of the people that i found in nativity i'm like were they there who are they who was actually were there cows 
I'd like to know more. How'd this all get picked? I, I don't know. How about you? I may or may not have in- information that will oh, yes. be satisfying to you, but I've got some and other things I didn't really learn. But yes, yeah, same. No pageants. My family didn't even have a nativity. No. No, we didn't. I don't know why. Wow. I don't, I don't know how you got away with that. No, we might have had a tiny, now that I think about it, maybe we had a tiny little just like holy family with the Jesus, like tiny, but we didn't have a legit, no. Oh. And I always thought it was cool. And I was like, why don't we have one? Yeah. My best friend Mary's family definitely did. And it had like, it was beautifully made like ceramic and it had like real straw that what? her mom would put at the bottom every time. I don't know if she got new straw every year or like it was the same straw probably. Anyway, I was very impressed with it every year. I was like, this is beautiful. It's such a big part of my Christmas deal that even now, so Tom, my husband has um, figurines from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the dentist sure. elf. So I've put them in a nativity um, figuration <laughs> with the abominable snowman and Why everybody. Why not? <laughs> Because I just like, I'm like, I, we have to have one, but something. I'm not going to church. So I'm not going to go buy a nativity set. So you could. The misfit toys are attending the birth of Rudolph in our I house. love it. <laughs> I love that. We just, we make it ours, you know, it's that folk Catholicism. I'm so surprised that you didn't have one. No, we didn't have one. There was, I think I mentioned this last year at, around Christmas time, the parish I grew up in when I was really little, St. Thomas More had a life-size one made out of mannequins that the pastor of the parish set up every year. It was like his art. I don't know. And I always thought that was very cool because it kind of did look cool. Did you know that the where you and I worked, we worked, so Stephanie and I worked at a theater company that was based at a settlement house, a legit settlement house mm-hmm. in Chicago that has been functioning like since Hull House was functioning. The settlement does a live pageant every year. At least they used to. Do you know that? With a, with a real donkey. Where were we? So I worked at the settlement like in several capacities and uh, yeah, that happened. They did the, they would have to like grab staff members to act as Mary and Joseph and they walk the streets of West town. Yeah. Which is funny because they're not a religious institution. No, they're they're not totally secular, but there were just some folks working there who were like, like, we're doing this. The families want this and this is what we are doing. Wow. Yeah. I was there for it a couple times. Real donkey. It was fun. And Santa was there. Santa's always crashing my nativity. We do have a nativity set at my house, but there's this phenomenon that happens at my house where my kids, like, if they have toys that are their toys, I feel like they rarely play with them. We have just a house full of toys that don't get played with. But if there's a thing that seems to belong to me, like the coasters on our coffee table are just, like, constantly played with every day because, like, (laughs) (laughs) much more interesting when it's something you're not. And so the nativity i bought this like little peg people nativity from target years ago it looks like a like a red barn with like a wreath like it doesn't you know it doesn't looks like modern day whatever but they play with it all the time to the point where like the pieces get thrown on the floor and then the dog eats them so i had to last year i bought peg people and made a new mary and joseph and baby jesus i think because they were all missing So now we've got the new Mary and Joseph and we actually have all the other pieces, but baby Jesus still missing. So unless he makes some kind of miraculous appearance on Christmas, I don't know. Which I wouldn't put it past him. I feel like we can't have Christmas day and no baby Jesus. So I think I probably need to fashion a tiny baby Jesus. We have the manger. Mm-hmm. My kids play with it a lot, but they do not play with it as a nativity. They like, they're like using the manger as like a button that just, I don't know, destroys something. It was like, 
they're using it for other things. I found the angel in the basement being used for something else. And that sounds right. That was the one piece of Christian-y things where I was like, I would like a nativity for my kids. Like I seemed fun. To yeah. Have. I don't know. All right. So nativity mm-hmm. also called a crash. Have you heard that word? It's no. a French word. Yeah. Um, that's a French word for nativity. And it also is the word in France and I think some other European countries for like daycare. Oh. Sometimes like taxpayer funded daycare. So uh, interesting that right. they share the same word. <laughs> Who staged the first nativity scene, Steph? Ooh. Do you want to guess? I will give you a hint. Cray. And this is what people think, obviously. The year was 1223. It's not a great hint. Can you guess who staged <laughs> the first nativity? Uh, is it a pope? No, but it is a saint. Oh. And I couldn't believe I didn't know this, honestly. Is it Francis Xavier? Close. It's Francis of Assisi. Oh. Yeah. The animal guy what? also was like animals in the, of course he did. That's why there's so many animals in there. There you go, I guess. Dang. Okay. So I, this is a quote I have from Slate, from a Slate article. Why does Slate love Catholicism? We need to find out. Get to the bottom of this. The editors are like, get me more Catholic news. <laughs> more Catholic news now. There must be some lapsed Catholics there. This is a quote from the article. It says, the only historical account we have of Francis' nativity scene, it comes from The Life of St. Francis of Assisi, which was written by St. Bonaventure, who Ooh. was a Franciscan monk who was born five years before francis's death so i guess he maybe i don't know not long after so according to this biography saint francis got permission from pope honorius the third to set up a manger with hay and two live animals i think francis just wanted the animals i guess yeah an ox and a donkey they say an ox and an ass in the slate article i think just to be provocative frankly (laughs) but that's fine it's more fun in a cave in the italian village of grecio Uh, And then he invited the villagers to come gaze upon the scene while he preached about the babe of Bethlehem. Also, according to this biography, it claims that the hay used by Francis miraculously acquired the power to cure local cattle diseases. Whoa. So one of his miracles was a a nativity miracle. Who knew? Get Get that good hay. I guess so. This is interesting to me as a theater person and probably to you as well. So I guess like they call it miracle plays were popular at the time because yes. mass was in Latin. So no one could understand what the heck was going on. They're like, sure. Good job. <laughs> so they would do these people would do these plays at churches to show Bible stories. So the people actually knew what the heck was in the Bible. So right. That was nice of them. They probably were not literate either. So really, that's all you got. Right. Theater to the rescue. Exactly. For so long, really for all of time. I mean, it's not untrue. <laughs> so nativity scenes were kind of similar. It was like an idea that we're going to illustrate this thing in the Bible because people can't actually understand the Latin when they go to mass on mm-hmm. Sunday. You, it had not yet occurred to them to just speak in a local language, I guess. That would take several <laughs> centuries. And they think that early nativities probably involved both statues and real people. Oh. So do you know how many of the four Gospels describe Jesus's birth? I feel like it's three out of four, but maybe I'm wrong. According to this, it's two, Matthew and Luke. Uh, So Luke recounts the shepherd's visit, and then Matthew talks about the wise men. Nowhere in the Bible do those appear together, so the nativity is like a mishmash of those things. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Is SEC the first one who mishmashed them? Or I don't know, actually. I guess we don't know if the wise men were there. I haven't read it. I don't know for sure that the wise men were there. It sounds like there were animals for sure. The animals were definitely there. The wise men might have been added later. Not totally Mm. sure. So after the Reformation, nativities became associated with Southern Europe, where the Catholics were mostly there. Mm -hmm. And Christmas trees were Northern Europe. Germanic. Because there were more evergreen trees there. Mm. So you got one or the other. Yes. I looked at Christmas trees a little bit. They were a German Lutheran thing. Mm. And then were adopted by the Brits. And like, I think there was a picture or an illustration of um, like the royal family with a Christmas tree in like the mid 1800s. And that's when Christmas trees became more of a thing. But they're not particularly Catholic-y. No. We took it from the Lutherans. We take a lot of things. Here's another, this is a another um, side note, not Totally related. But Steph, this is just something I found in my wonderings about this stuff. I know we're talking about nativities, but Advent wreaths, which is another mainstay of Advent. Yes. Because we definitely learned about them in religion class. I'm sure you learned about them in CCD. Yes. Each candle represents a week and the pink candle is the third week where you have like one Mm -hmm. more week to go and you light them at mass. Mm -hmm. Can you guess when Advent wreaths became a thing? in the Catholic church feels medieval-y. So I'm going to go 14 something. 1930s. <laughs> what? Yeah. It is super recent. Wait, how and why? They were again, a Lutheran German thing. Yes. I don't remember. It was like a guy, a Lutheran German guy. Maybe he was, he was probably a, I didn't even, I should look it up, but it was, a, um, I think he was probably a, clergy member or something just created it like for his son or something to be like this will show you when christmas is coming when we light the fourth candle and then that turned into the whole wreath that they started using in church and then german catholics were like oh we like that we're gonna do it too so then they started doing it but that was like it didn't come to american catholics at least until there was like german catholics maybe around the 1920s and then like german catholics coming to america were like oh we also like you know, it kind of caught on in America in like the 1930s. My great grandma, who's like a person I knew and spent time with as a child, like she didn't do that when she was a kid. No. Like she would have remembered when that became a thing. I was going to say, this is why I could never be Mormon, for instance. I'm like, anything that's recent can't be holy <laughs> or real. Advent rates are very recent. I'm just like <laughs> the Catholic in music. It must be very, very long ago in order for it to count. It must be old to make it important. So 1930s feels, yeah, I'm like, that's not, okay, the idea of us even starting something now, like people be like, no, we can't start new things. Christmas has always been this one way. And well, this is just like a century ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it has like, it's like made with, it's like candles and pine. You feel like, oh, this must be very ancient. Right. Pagan-y, I guess. Yes. And people have been using, you know natural elements and fire around the solstice like forever but mm-hmm. in terms of the advent wreath in church which they make such a big deal of and the altar server has to learn how to do the thing and right yeah very recent and uh, you know it's done by protestants use the advent wreath too a lot of them okay moving along nativities i'm very excited to tell you this part as you can imagine nativities kind of very regionally so in different places they'll do you know different places have their own flair that they'll put on it Steph, in catalonia in the catalan uh-huh. region of spain yes there is something in a nativity it's a very important element of the nativity it's called the cagane cagane c-a-g-a-n-e-r can you guess 
what the Kagane is. It is a it is a person in the nativity. Person in the nativity. The angel that gets to sit on top of the manger. It's a good guess. No. No. So it is a child or an adult <laughs> pooping in the corner. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> as soon what? as I read this, I told my eight-year-old and he just, I was like, you know, you're going to love this. Hang on. Let me tell you this fun fact. Wait, why? It what? is a person pooping. It literally means the pooper. Who? <laughs> what? They get a little crazy in Catalonia. So it's believed to have entered the nativity scene in the late 17th or early 18th century during the Baroque period. Apparently there's a sculpture of a person defecating hidden inside the cathedral of Cuidad Rodrigo, province of Salamanca, though this is not part of a nativity scene. It's just a random, just a rando cagane. Poop it in a corner. (laughs) There is a fun tradition to hide the Kagane and have it and children have to go find it. They have this it's a little figurine with their pants down and their, their <laughs> booty out. First, wait, okay. So first I was like, is there a person that gets hired to do this? But no, it's a statue. Okay. It's a statue. I don't know. I haven't heard of a live action Kagane. I don't know. If someone moons the audience, but um yeah, and the children have to find the the pooping person and apparently it's become a thing that people will when they make their nativity they'll model that person after like a famous person or like a rich person (laughs) so it's become like satire kind of there's theories i read about why this is a thing it could be to represent fertilizing the earth which sure sounds like a stretch to me sure it's also they could they said it might be like to bring the powerful down from their throne so to speak so sort of like using the the powerful person. If you're ever in Catalonia, check that out. Sounds like fun. I feel like my nativities have been so boring. <laughs> Listeners, you can jazz up your nativity. If your child is not interested in your nativity, I guarantee you if they're, you know, if they're anything like my kids, you had a little... You had a pooper. <laughs> a little pooper in the corner. They're going to love it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm super distracted by your cute baby. The... Uh... <laughs> You could do that right now, huh? That's what I was going to say. Xavier could be the Kagane. <laughs> Baby Jesus. Many, many roles that Xavier could do. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I think if you'd given me a million guesses, I would not have guessed <laughs> that there was a mad pooper in the corner. Who knew? Who knew? So a couple more things as I was mm-hmm. looking through this. So I had a couple questions that I was interested in. One was, this seems like the only time where protestants are doing statues oh because the protestants also do nativities with their idolatry yeah and that's like the thing that catholics do that the protestants are like no thank you i was like oh they only want mary when she's pregnant and ready then having a baby okay snap how about the rest of the time good question so i i looked that up like is anyone talking about that i i found a very like unnecessarily salty article (laughs) Is it though? Um, in the National Catholic Register, which is like just a very conservative to mainstream Catholic thing, 
It's by this guy, Dave Armstrong, who apparently is a super bad sport when it comes to Protestants. He is a convert himself, so... He's had a bad experience. Yeah, I guess he had a bad experience. So for someone who was a Protestant, he real salty toward Protestants. He starts the article by being like, warning, sarcasm slash tongue-in-cheek humor alert. No. And then he says, Christmas is a wonderful time of year when Protestants by the millions have statues, aka idols, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Ooh. Not to mention St. Joseph, angels, etc. displayed prominently in their living rooms or lawns and gaze at and meditate on them reverently in a matter hardly distinguishable from Catholic veneration. You got them good. Does anyone else find that a bit odd and humorous or is it just my overactive sense of the ironic and anomalous? Yeah. Stick it to them. <laughs> it's like a just such a weird catholic nerd level of saltiness you have to say warning sarcasm ahead like maybe you didn't do your job <laughs> maybe it's not clear yeah. right <laughs> the whole thing is him kind of just like imagining an argument he would have with a protestant being like oh so you say you're not worshiping idols well we don't worship idols either we venerate them and that's what you're doing and maybe you should be catholic he's having an argument with nobody and it's right it's like when you after you have like a conversation and you don't say the thing that you want to say and you're saying it later he's having that out loud okay clearly maybe he has some i mean if he's a convert maybe he has some issues maybe some conflict with some family who's not into his catholic conversion i don't know if you want to read some thoughts that somebody has about you know you need a good laugh about Protestants. <laughs> about Protestants and having some idols, uh, some some statues. Take a read. This is the read for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the other thing. So my other question was sort of like, what was the deal with the actual nativity? If it happened at all, right? Like, what would have it actually looked like? So I found, I don't know much about this website. I didn't look enough to form an opinion, but there's um, hebraicthought.org and it's from, it's an organization called The Biblical Mind. Anyway, it's a website where they seem to beget kind of real nerdy. It's a, This is the, the episode of weird biblical nerdiness. Uh, they get nerdy about <laughs> like translations of the Bible and stuff and what the oldest translations say. And So the headline is Jesus was probably born in a relative's house, not an inn. Okay. And it says, essentially, in the house where Mary, this is a quote, where Mary and Joseph lodged that night, the lodging space, which the term is kataluma, which I guess is a different term than like what would have been like a public inn, Um, Mm. meaning the upstairs was full. It's like the upstairs part of their house where guests would normally stay. And so it says that compelled them and perhaps others to try to stay downstairs overnight. And with no space to lay the baby born in such conditions, the new mother placed the child in the manger in the low wall beside her. And it goes into like what houses would have looked like in that part of the world at that time. And that there was kind of a hallway with like different nooks. Kind of like an E-shape, it says. Yeah, so there's like kind of different rooms coming off a main hallway, and there's also like a ladder to an upstairs. So guests would normally have stayed upstairs, but there wasn't room because there was this whole census going on. So Mary and Joseph and probably other relatives were staying probably with a relative in a room where there were like – that was normally used for – a couple animals. So your one donkey and one goat would have stayed in one room. And that is where they had to put the baby in like the goats feeding area in the wall. Oh, that's very complicated and hard to fit into a quick story. It is. But it also makes you think about like, 
I mean, to people at that time, that would have made sense. If I was like, oh, they had to stay in the basement, you know what that means. But if it's like 2000 years from now and you live somewhere that in the, I don't know what homes look like, but like there are no basements, right? Like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, they had to go underground. And it's like, no, it's literally just like a part of my house that is just happens to be partially below ground right so that's the reality of it there was probably it was probably in somebody's house a relative's house that's it so this nice innkeeper story no and i feel like there's a whole mythology that has also grown which is like they have to check it all these different ends and everybody keeps turning them away and then the one innkeeper or they were turned away from everywhere and there was no room left what it actually says is there was no room at the whatever this K word is, Cataluma. So they had to put the baby in the feeding area is basically what it says. Right. So there was just no room upstairs, like in the bed area. Side note, if somebody is super pregnant to the point of giving birth, wouldn't you be like, you know what, cousin Marion, I'm going to sleep downstairs next to the horses or not horses, donkeys. You get the bed. So you can have the bed, right? Like who does that? rude come on people they're like oh she like my sheets messy near <laughs> the animals you know it's not not true like birth is messy real messy let's go do that somewhere not in the bed area i don't know i guess who knows so that's what i found that's what i got about nativities oh wow okay so now you know when you're looking at your nativity if anyone's trying to liven up their nativity you can add a kagane and also know that it was somebody's house if anyone adds a kagane i need a picture (laughs) i'm obsessed yes if you yourself are familiar with this and have one send it to us we will put it on our social because maybe it's cultural appropriation to put one in but i really think it should be it's Spain. I think it's fine. I think you can do it. Okay, do it. Then do it. Please do it. <laughs> Everyone do it. I don't want you to get in trouble, but yes, please do it. Duff, do you have any recommendations for our lapsed and Catholic listeners out there? Well, being that this was a Christmassy episode, mm-hmm. I basically just have a Christmas recommendation. Ooh. I don't know if you've watched the movie Joya Noel. It's just like Merry Christmas, but it's that it's a movie about the famous historical moment in World War One when the French, English, and German troops were all in trenches near each other and decided to come together to celebrate Christmas. Came over the trenches. It's a really, really beautiful story and one in which people start off like, well, we we hate them because we were told to hate them and learn. Mm-hmm. like we're more like than we are different and what that does to them over the course of this one evening and that it is historical that's my my christmas recommendation for a different kind of movie for everyone to watch i love it great maybe i'll watch that one i do not have something warm and fuzzy uh there's a show a show on it's on apple tv called bad sisters have you heard of it oh no it's an irish show it's a thriller it's Got a thriller star cast of women, including Sharon Horgan, who I adore, and um, Eve Hewson, who I think is uh, Bono's daughter, if I'm not incorrect. Oh, anyway, all these amazing Irish actresses and dudes as well, and actors, and uh, it's it's a thriller and it's pretty dark, but it's really it's also funny, and it takes place in Ireland, so you know there's some uh, there's some good some Catholic references, nothing overt, just really nicely mixed in. Okay. Rosaries hanging on the car rearview mirror and cultural Catholics. The main dude who is not a nice man uh, in the in the show is his name is John Paul, which is interesting. 
yeah funny and dark and kind of horrifying at times but i like it so everyone should watch great also i am very excited because there are rumblings that there may be in the works a sister act three what starring who uh i think whoopi again and then i don't know she was on was she on drew barrymore and uh saying like she was like oh you could be in it (laughs) (laughs) like why not whoopi goldberg was on drew's talk show you know uh-huh she was like you know people are talking there might be a sister act three and whoopi's like yeah no we're we're looking at really doing it and she was like well who's gonna be in it everyone wants it and she's like you want to be in it and drew was like omg yes so who knows if that's real uh. but i would watch that one i love the first two sister acts oh yeah very much and so that's exciting lauren hill baby lauren hill oh my gosh what if they got lauren hill back that'd be amazing that would be amazing and all the nuns the you know the original Uh, all those actresses who played the nuns that one actress played a nun then in orange is the new black which is funny because it's just like should she just have that nun look she kind of does she does (laughs) irish lady with short hair you know uh she looks (laughs) irish to me great all right so do we have a uh pass in the basket we do. Our special collection is going to be Refugee One, thinking about refugees. Steph and I were talking about what the focus should be around this time of year, and that felt correct. Even if Jesus stayed out of relatives, he was still being moved around due to the forces. Yeah. Well, and then he had they had to piece out because the whole thing with that king, you know? Yeah. The king, he had to run away so they wouldn't kill him. Um, There's an excellent book. This will be another recommendation. There's a children's book. Ooh. I think I mentioned it last year. There's a children's book by Anne Booth called Refuge. And I believe some of the money, if you buy it, goes to a refugee organization. It is a nativity story for kids. Beautiful illustrations told from the point of view of the donkey super short and simple but it kind of focuses on the the refugee the after portion of having to flee there's a that part is included as well where like normally the story ends you know right feels like a weird omission so that's a great book i recommend it to folks great thank you i guess that's it i'll let you get back to your little merry christmas merry christmas to our listeners and or happy whatever holidays you are Celebrating. celebrating or not celebrating or if you want to stay in your house and eat takeout that also sounds delicious amazing <laughs> enjoy <laughs> all right Steph. also with you and also with you Anne. 